Credit scores are important to financial health. Do you know yours and how it's calculated? A poor credit score can make it hard to get a loan, a credit card, or even a job. We can help answer questions and possibly save you money. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Thanks to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting the show. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thank you again for joining us. You're welcome, Kyle. We've been doing a series now, which I think is going to make a really nice little playlist that we can put together on the Eucharist. Maybe even find some past episodes that you did and throw them in there. Have maybe eight, nine, ten episodes about the Eucharist that people can can dive into. We did an introduction, the Eucharist as mystery, and then there's been three different topics that have been over the course of three episodes so far, probably two more to go. So we talked about the Eucharist as sacrifice, the Eucharist as presence, and that was two episodes. And today we'll begin talking about the Eucharist as communion. This is based off of some talks that you've given here in the diocese that went over really well, got a lot of great feedback from those. And so it's great to have you kind of break it down even a little bit more for us. Thank you, Kyle. And especially now during the Eucharistic revival, this is one of my top priorities and the bishops of the United States, especially to give good catechesis on mm-hmm. on the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. Yeah. So the Eucharist as communion, obviously we sometimes use those two words interchangeably, the Eucharist or communion, your first communion or first Eucharist. So what do we mean by communion? Yes, that we actually receive Jesus, his body and blood under the species of bread and wine. And we call that Holy Communion. So this gets to the meal aspect or the banquet aspect of the Eucharist. And because the Eucharist is a sacrifice and it is a sacrificial banquet. So the Eucharistic banquet, or sometimes we'll say the Eucharistic feast, Mm -hmm. Because when the Lord instituted the Holy Eucharist, he gave it to us as spiritual nourishment, as food and drink for our souls. So this aspect of the mystery is integral to the whole mystery. And when I spoke about this at the diocesan conferences, I began by playing a short music piece that was written by St. Thomas Aquinas called O Sacrum Convivium, which literally means O Sacred Banquet. And this was an an antiphon that Thomas Aquinas wrote for Vespers, for evening prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours for the Feast of Corpus Christi. It was the Magnificat antiphon. At evening prayer, we always pray the Magnificat. So the antiphon is the, the verse before we actually pray the Magnificat. And then after we pray, we repeat the antiphon. Mm. So, so this is quite sure. It's an antiphon, but it's a very beautiful one. And it has been set to music by over 40 composers. Oh, wow. So when you, a lot of people have heard this, but you, you've probably heard it according to different musical renditions because of the different settings by all these composers. And it really is amazing because it's like a mini creed of our faith in the Eucharist. And it has basically four steps to it. So I'm just going to say the antiphon, and of course he wrote it in Latin, O Sacrum Convivium, O Sacred Banquet, 
in quo Christus sumitor, in which Christ is received, recolitor memoria passionus eius, the memory of his passion is recalled, mens impletor gratia, the soul is filled with grace, e future gloriae novis pinus dator, and the pledge of future glory is given to us. It's all there in that, oh, Sacrum Convivium, it's, it's always amazing because in that one antiphon, so much of our Eucharistic faith is expressed. Do you mind going through that English one more time? Just to Sure, I'd be glad so to, can... and I could expound on it a okay, little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. number one, O sacred banquet in which Christ is received. So basically Jesus becomes our food. Mm-hmm. The memory of his passion is recalled. Or you can translate that also celebrated. The memory of his passion is celebrated. Mm-hmm. And that's what I talked about in a prior episode when I spoke about the meaning of memorial. Uh-huh. I think that was the first episode, but also the meaning of sacrifice. Right. The Eucharist has sacrifice. And if you recall the meaning of memorial, it's the making present of Christ's sacrifice. It's the making present of Christ's passion. Recall the words of St. Paul to the Corinthians. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. And then St. Thomas Aquinas says, the soul is filled with grace. Mens impletor gratia. And I will get into this. This is the effect. This is the, the fruit. You know, our, our soul is filled with grace. We receive Christ's grace. And I, I will expound on that in, okay. in this episode. And the last part, and the pledge of future glory is given to us. Because the Eucharist is a foretaste of heaven. And again, I'll talk about that effect of the Eucharist at the conclusion, but mm-hmm. it's really a whole theology in, in this antiphon. And that whole idea, O sacred banquet, convivium in Latin means banquet or feast. It comes from a Latin, live with, convivere, convivium, to live with. Well, the Lord lives with us his beloved in the Eucharist. He dwells with us. And I talked about that when I talked about the real presence. He dwells with us. And in Holy Communion, he gives himself to us. He comes to dwell in our souls. So I recommend listening to O Sacrum Convivium with that translation. So getting back to really the very beginning, I I spoke about how Jesus gives himself for us in the Eucharist, that's a sacrifice, that he dwells with us, real presence, and now I'm talking about how he gives himself to us in Holy Communion. So our Lord becomes our spiritual drink, he nourishes us with his body and blood in the Paschal Banquet of Holy Communion. The lover, Christ, the bridegroom, enters into the most intimate union with us, his beloved. So this intimate union 
with Jesus is possible because of the Eucharist, because of Holy Communion. There's a spousal union that's realized in a way that's fitting for us as human beings because this is something both physical and spiritual, like the love of a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Spousal love, it's physical and it's spiritual. Because when we receive Holy Communion, we take Christ bodily into ourselves. So we're united to him in a close physical way. Mm-hmm. And he remain, and if you think about the physical part of it, he remains with us for about 10 minutes because, because it's until the sacred species are corrupted by the digestive process. Mm. Okay. But the most important union is the enduring spiritual effect. And Professor Lawrence Feingold writes about this in his book that I have quoted from the Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. So what is this spiritual effect that remains the more important union, this spiritual union? It's by sanctifying grace and the indwelling of the Trinity and love. Are, this is all nourished and increased. So every time we receive Holy Communion, there is an increase of the sanctifying grace, for example, that we received at baptism, Mm. and an increase of charity. So I think it's, it's important to begin with this when we talk about the effect of Holy Communion, is that we're united to Christ, but we're also united to his body, the church. But I want to talk first about are being united to Christ when we receive his body and blood. This union with Jesus does bring about our communion with one another in the church. That's why the church teaches that the Eucharist makes the church. And St. Thomas Aquinas refers to the Eucharist as the sacrament of church unity. So our communion with one another in the church, in the mystical body of Christ, our communion in love is deepened. But that's because it's a consequence of our union with Christ. Mm -hmm. Think about those words that St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. For we, being many, are one bread, one body, all that partake of one bread. So we're bound into one body through our being united with Christ in the Eucharist. Now, I'll talk a little bit later about, a little bit more about this deepening communion that we have with one another when we receive Holy Communion. But first, we have to talk about how it deepens our union with Jesus himself. In the Bread of Life discourse, Jesus, referring to the Eucharist, said in John chapter 6, verse 23, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Eat and drink. When Jesus instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper, what did he say? He said, take and eat take and drink. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the Eucharist is Christ's sacrifice, 
while at the same time, it is a sacred banquet. It's inseparably a sacrifice and a banquet. Mm-hmm. We can speak of it as a sacrificial banquet. Because the Eucharistic sacrifice, it is directed to our intimate union with Jesus in Holy Communion. What we call the altar, and we call it an altar because the Eucharist is a sacrifice, and you do a sacrifice on an altar, what we call the altar is also a table. Mm-hmm. It is the table of the banquet, the Eucharistic banquet. It's the table of the Lord. It's both. When we receive Holy Communion, we take Christ bodily into ourselves. This is what the Catechism says about this in number 1391, and I quote, Holy Communion augments our union with Christ. Okay? It increases our union with Christ. Mm -hmm. The Catechism says, The principal fruit of receiving the Eucharist in Holy Communion is an intimate union with Christ Jesus. Indeed, the Lord said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. John chapter 6, verse 56. Life in Christ has its foundation in the Eucharistic banquet. Quote, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Again, from the Red of Life Discourse, John chapter 6, verse 57. It's so interesting how often St. John in his gospel uses the verb abide or remain. Mm-hmm. It designates, sometimes when he uses it, the mutual indwelling of God the Father and God the Son, this mm-hmm. eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. The Son remains in the Father and the Father in the Son. And Jesus invites us to share to participate in that relationship. Mm. We, but when we consume Christ's body and blood in the Eucharist, he dwells with us and we share in his divine life, the divine life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Eucharist is truly holy communion. Jesus' divine life is being given to us when we receive Holy Communion, when we consume his body and blood. This mutuality between the Father and the Son and the disciples, us, is a mystery of love. Remember Jesus' prayer to the Father at the Last Supper. Jesus said, Father, I made known to them your name so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That's John chapter 17, verse 26. It's just such a beautiful part of Jesus' priestly prayer at the Last Supper. Father, I made known to them your name that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's important that we understand the connection of the Eucharist to baptism. 
because we enter into communion with Jesus and his body, the church, through baptism. So when we say that we receive Holy Communion, it doesn't mean that we haven't been in communion already. Yes, we're already in communion with Jesus through our baptism, because Mm -hmm. when we're baptized, we become members of Christ. We become sons and daughters of God. That's why the Catechism says that the Eucharist augments our union with Christ. It doesn't say that the Eucharist begins our union with Christ. It says it augments it. It increases it. So the Eucharist is so very important, and, go, and re, being able to receive Holy Communion is, is so important because it's the gift that nourishes the new life of Christ that we received at baptism. It's connected. So, of course, we know there are three sacraments of initiation that are intimately connected, baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. When catechumens, adult catechumens, enter the church, they receive, they enter the church through receiving not just baptism, but the three sacraments Mm -hmm. of initiation for baptism, then confirmation, then Holy Eucharist. Usually at the Easter Vigil. At the Easter Vigil, usually, exactly. So the effect of the Eucharist in, in the Catechism number 1392, it says, Holy Communion preserves, increases, and renews the life of grace received at baptism. Hmm. This growth in Christian life needs the nourishment of Holy Communion the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death when it will be given to us as viaticum. Mm. So I think it's important that in order to grow in the Christian life, baptism isn't enough. You know, we need the nourishment of the Eucharist if we're going to grow uh, in the Christian life. And I love that idea of the Eucharist as the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death, because it kind of reminds us of the pilgrimage, the journey of the Israelites through the desert to the promised land. They needed to be nourished so that they wouldn't die. So God fed them with manna from heaven. And it's the same, the new manna is Jesus in the Eucharist, that is our bread for our pilgrimage through the desert of this life Mm. until the moment of death. So really the last sacrament that one ideally receives before dying is the Eucharist. And we call that viaticum, viaticum. And literally via t cum Latin means with you on the way. Mm. So Christ with us in are passing from death to eternal life. So this spiritual food for our journey to heaven, it's, it's our nourishment for growth in the Christian life. It is the main means, the principal channel for the increase and the nourishing of grace and charity in us. 
Now, I didn't say it's the only channel. Yeah. It's the principal channel because we receive grace in the other sacraments mm-hmm. that are important, like the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, like the sacrament of anointing of the sick when we're struggling with serious illness or when we're dying we get special graces through the anointing of the sick and in all the sacraments do do we also receive graces through non-sacraments through prayer reading scripture interactions with other people acts of service exactly so. exactly through prayer through good works mm-hmm. and all the things that you mention um so God is so good, he's kind of overflowing (laughs) in his goodness, giving us graces through all of these different means. But the primary is through the Eucharist. Exactly. Because the Eucharist is is Jesus himself. It's the sacrament of love, so it it helps us, it it nourishes us and strengthens us to love. And that's the greatest of all all the virtues. It's the most godlike. God is love. You know, without love, we will not go to heaven. I mean. Mm. So when we look at this notion of the Holy Communion augmenting our union with Christ, there's a term that the Eastern doctors of the church used a lot called divinization. So you see the word divine, divinization. And this idea, very prominent in Eastern theology, is also part of our Western theology, but it's not, we don't always use that term. The East, they often use that term. We might sometimes use the term. In the West, we will speak more often about our participation in the divine life. Mm -hmm. But it's really the same thing. One of the issues with the word divinization is some might think that, well, that means our souls take on the substance of God. Well, no. Through grace, we are gifted with the participation in the divine life. But we don't, you know, God is God. We don't literally become God, but we participate in his divine life. So, we read in the letter to, of St. Peter in the New Testament about how we've been made partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. And this is one of the reasons that the Word became flesh. This is one of the reasons that God became man, so that we would be able to participate in his divine life which is eternal. The word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature, St. Peter wrote. For this is why the word became man. St. Irenaeus, a great doctor of the church, most recent doctor of the church, although he lived in the second century, I know we've talked about him before. He wrote about how the Son of God became the Son of Man so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. Are there translations that actually say that we would become God? Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. 
And I guess where that can get a little confusing is to think that that means that we take on God's substance, uh-huh. our souls take on God's substance, but that's not precise. Yeah. I mean, we partake in his nature. I mean, St. Athanasius, just to your point, St. Athanasius wrote, for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Okay, maybe that's what I was thinking That's of, what you yeah. think about. That's a famous yeah. quote of St. Athanasius. And it's true as long as one understands that correctly. Right. St. Thomas Aquinas also used similar language. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote, the only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And isn't there at some point, is it when you mix the water with the wine, where Christ who shares in our humanity so that we might share in his divinity? Is that from the mass? It is from the mass. And that's, that's a great example of what we believe of how Christ through his incarnation and assuming our human nature did it so that, we would be able to partake of his divine nature. Now, the fathers of the church called this the marvelous exchange. Hmm. And the Latin is admirable commercium, the marvelous exchange. On New Year's, January 1st, the Vespers, um, first Vespers, which is the night before, on the night of the evening of December 31st, And remember, January 1st is the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. Well, we begin Vespers, first Vespers for the Solemnity on December 31st. And there's an antiphon. The first antiphon is so beautiful. And it begins, O admirable commercium, O marvelous exchange, man's creator has become man, born of a virgin. We have been made sharers in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Mm. And as you mentioned, we say those words when we mix the water and the wine. Well, I'll get to it in another minute. Okay. So this exchange, the chief sacramental means to bring about this exchange is Holy Communion. There was a general audience 11 years ago, and it was Pope Benedict XVI, and he spoke about the admirable commercium, this marvelous exchange uh-huh. that took place at the incarnation. And then he asked a question. Pope Benedict said, and where does this wondrous exchange become truly present so that it may work in our life and make it an existence of true children of God? Pope Benedict said, it becomes tangible in the Eucharist. Mm. When we participate in Holy Mass, think about it. Pope Benedict says, we present what is ours to God, the bread and the wine, the fruits of the earth, so that he will accept them and transform them, giving us himself and making himself our food in order that in receiving his body and blood, we may participate in his divine life. I mean, this is so beautiful. Back in uh, the 4th or 5th century, St. Cyril of Jerusalem 
he gave these wonderful catechesis to the neophytes, those who had just been baptized at the Easter Vigil. They continued after the Easter Vigil, after they were baptized, to receive catechesis. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem explained to these newly baptized Christians about Holy Communion, that it's ordered to our divinization. St. Cyril said to them, by partaking of the body and blood of Christ, you may become of one body and blood with him. For when his body and blood become the tissue of our members, we become Christ bearers. And as the blessed Peter said, partakers of the divine nature. So that's why Eastern theologians very commonly speak of the Eucharist as the sacrament of divinization. But as I said, even in the West, in our Roman liturgy, the same idea is expressed. And you mentioned this, Kyle. The prayer that we priests say quietly during the offertory at Mass, when we mix water with the wine, we say quietly, you know, normally people can't hear it, Mm -hmm. by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Mm. And by the way, there's a strong symbolic meaning in adding water to the wine because the water represents all of humanity. The water represents human nature itself Mm. and the wine represents Christ. St. Cyprian of Carthage, back in the third century, wrote this, the water is understood as the people, while the wine shows forth the blood of Christ. When the water is mingled in the cup with wine, the people are united with Christ. Once the water and wine are mingled in the Lord's cup, the mixture cannot anymore be separated. When someone offers only wine, St. Cyprian said, then the blood of Christ begins to exist without us. Mm. But when it's only water, then the people begin to exist without Christ. It's interesting, in that letter, when St. Cyprian wrote that, he was criticizing the Gnostics, the Gnostic heretics, because they rejected the use of wine. Oh, okay. Some of the Gnostics. Now, I don't recall at the Last Supper, was there a mixing of water and wine at that? No. Okay. Well, I mean, could have been, but wasn't we, mentioned. it's not mentioned. Yeah. Is, so is there a difference between that event, not needing to add the water to it because it's prior to the passion of Christ? Or You know, I haven't thought about that. You know, what would be very interesting to study, and I really don't know, Kyle, I'd have to do some research when did that begin? Yeah. I mean, it's symbolic. Keep in it's, mind. Not, it's not efficacious. It's, right, right. It's, it's important because it's symbolic. Right. It's, it's important symbolism. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So this is this mysterious action of divinization through the Eucharist. There's one of the post-communion prayers, the prayer after communion, the liturgy that refers to this as well. It says, grant us almighty God, that we may be refreshed and nourished by the sacrament which we have received, so as to be transformed by what we consume. Mm. To be transformed basically into Christ, to be transformed by grace. 
That's what we're praying for. Think about the lives of the saints. They were transformed by the Eucharist, by being immersed in the Eucharist, by their devout reception of Holy Communion. They were conformed in their lives by what they consumed. They were conformed to Christ. And that's what we're all called to be, to be transformed into Christ, to become icons of Christ. And there's a really wonderful book on this. People might want to look at The author is Father Andrew Hofer, H-O-F-E-R. He's a Dominican, Father Andrew Hofer. And it's entitled Divinization, colon, Becoming Icons of Christ Through the Liturgy. Divinization, Becoming Icons of Christ Through the Liturgy by Dominican Father Andrew Hofer. I think it would be good in the next um, episode to talk about how this communion with Christ, what is inseparable from this, is that is the mystery of communion with the church. In other words, communion with one another. So I look forward to talking about that in our next episode. All right. Very good. Thank you, Bishop. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. We'll put links to the song that you mentioned, as well as the books that you've mentioned, and, of course, past episodes if you need to get caught up and looking forward to the next episode. That's great, Kyle. Take care. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.